This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, 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 hi. Welcome to SIP. Survive. And repeat. I'm Jenny. I am Danelle. And I'm Kenny. You guys. guys, I think we're getting really good at doing this without looking at each other. We are. It's like... <laughs> the timing's getting better. It's a little difficult, but it's okay. Um, I don't love it, but I mean, I miss <laughs> you both. I would but like to say that if you think that we have video going on during this call, we do not. We are it's, literally just on a phone call with each other recording it. So, it's really the blind it, leading the blind at this point. It's not that we don't love each other and want to see each other's cute little faces, but like, ugh, so much effort, so much effort. It's too much effort. And to be quite honest, I have enough Zoom calls during the day. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I'm over it. Um, we were just talking about wearing masks in public. And um, I was saying that I kind of like it because when I smile, I squint because I have a very um, expressive face, some might say. No. Mm. And, <laughs> and so, like, most people don't notice my eyes very often. And so I posted a picture of me wearing a mask. Or actually, it was two different masks because I have, like, a slew. And... Um, a couple people were like, wow, you have such pretty eyes. And I'm like, that's because I'm not smiling under this mask. <laughs> it's, and then, or it's, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, and then Danelle said something about having jacked up teeth. Oh, yeah. Like I had braces for like eight years growing up because my teeth were <laughs> jacked up. And then in, when I got my braces removed, I had like a calcium stain on my front tooth. Again, still jacked up. And then my bottom teeth were, anyway, I've always just had jacked up teeth. They're kind of straight now, but I thought, wow, what a great era to wear a mask if you've got jacked up teeth. Because those Yay! of us who have jacked up teeth know what it's like. There you go. So this is the time. If you want to run around and like chip your Be tooth free. or like break one out, or you already have one broken out, it's the time. This is, the, this is your time to thrive. It's okay. I was <laughs> going to say it would be also interesting if anyone met in a public place right now, like I know a lot of public places are closed, but like, what if you're at the grocery store and you're single and you're wearing your mask and it's super cute and you lock eyes with somebody else wearing a mask and you guys oh decide God. that you're totally into each other, but you've never yes. seen each other from like the eyeballs down. And then you finally get to go on a date and then you notice their teeth are really jacked up and you don't care because you <laughs> fall madly in love with them. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter. You guys, I mean, you guys have been dry French kissing through your masks for weeks, so. And, <laughs> and when it's time to use the tongue, it doesn't matter. Oh, no. Boy. Oh, God. I also noticed I went to the grocery store yesterday and I did wear my mask. Uh -huh. And I noticed myself like smiling at people because I am gen gen generally a friendly person. And, but you can't tell, like someone was in my way and I was like, excuse me. And as I said it, I was smiling and I'm like, this person can't see like my facial expressions, you know? Right. They probably just think you're a bitch, like a raging right. bitch. Right. Um, and they couldn't, and I feel like you can't hear me. Like you have to talk louder because you're talking through a mask. Crazy. Well, I, feel like, I feel like somebody was kind of like standing in the middle of the aisle in a way that I couldn't get past. And I said, excuse me. And then they didn't move still. And so then I just like busted past. And I know that's wrong. And I definitely mm -hmm. was not six feet away, but I got real frustrated. 
Because, like, normally I can sweet talk my way through a situation again with my smile. It's my best asset. Although, I get, apparently, apparently, my eyes your are eyes also are. pretty good. Apparently, yeah. my eyes are real good. So, so things are mm, looking up for you. Mm, yeah, but quarantine. Um, well, I also wanted to let you know, and I will post this picture. Got myself some Crocs. Uh, oh boy! Now, now, don't don't be judging. Uh, I my feet. I have gone back to the ever fabulous plantar fasciitis. My feet have been killing me because I've been walking around the house, obviously, with no f- footwear on. Oh, so I was going to ask I, you, how is that? Because I haven't, I haven't worn heels, so I feel like when I go to wear heels, I'm going to be like, oh my god. Well, I feel like my feet would actually be better if I was wearing heels. Like, it's when I go flat-footed, like, if I'm wearing my slippers or just, like, barefoot. So, anyway, so I bought these Crocs. They're hilarious. They're bright green, like Kelly green. (laughs) They're obnoxious. Um, I bought them literally to just wear around the house instead of my slippers because my slippers obviously are not supportive enough. And I also bought what little kids do, those little, like, um, charms that you can, like, stick into the holes on the top. Oh Does, boy! Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Or uh, y'all said no? I know, I know. Um, and you have to post I, something. I bought like a set of like 35 or 50 or something on Amazon, and I let Declan pick out what he wanted, and he literally filled every hole. Like I, I meant to just like put like a little charm on there, like in the corner, and he was just like, "Look at this digger! Look at this rainbow! Look at this panda! Like we're putting these all on here." And I was like, "He's oh, like, Mom, I we? got this." Yeah, like so they're, they're very decorated right now, um, and I will post pictures, but they're, I mean, I don't mean to hate on Crocs. They are hideous shoes. That's the hate part. God, they really are helping my feet, so. I was going to ask you, do your feet feel better? Yes, and I well, feel there like. there you go. If it's going to help, I mean, again, if I go out, I'm wearing, like, tennis shoes, um, because that's supportive and looks like I'm a human, but these will be good for summer, like running around the yard with the kids and then like just busting around, you know, so the crops inside. are just in just for at home. So you're not they're just, home, they're just home styling. No, I won't even, I don't even wear them when I take a walk around the neighborhood. No, no. That, yeah. I, I can't I, wait to see the picture. I've oh. never owned a pair. Todd has a pair of, cro- they're not crocs, but they're like a clog. Mm-hmm. like a mule mm. um and they're rubbery so and he wears them like around the house to do stuff and he doesn't wear them anywhere but I could just I picture your crocs kind of like that but maybe a, a brighter color oh it sounds like a brighter color oh <laughs> <laughs> they are great in fact while I have you on the phone I'm just gonna send you this text because I took a picture of um after Declan decorated them if I can find my there it is um so you guys can enjoy it while you're on the phone with me he's also wearing a green shirt so it really works because i feel like we're like coordinated (laughs) okay i just sent it our team oh wow (laughs) (laughs) oh jenny with all the stuff on it too i know i know i know i have to say the little sticker plug things are pretty cool they're really cute they look like super animated and The Kelly Green, I love Kelly Green's one of my favorite colors. Me too. I, I mean, listen, they're ugly. I'm not going to lie. They're yeah, hideous. But in there. <laughs> if they're helping your feet and, and it's just looks for excited house. about it. Oh my God, cares? I'm so jazzed. I still have like a whole bag full of this so we can like swap out designs like every couple days. 
though. And you know what else is ugly? Um, Ugg slippers, and I love mine, and I wear them all the time, mm. but they're hideous. So it's the same thing. Yeah, I do wear my Ugg kind boots. Of. Yeah, it's fine. I wear my Ugg boots in public, though. I do, too. Like, so people see care. that. They're comfortable. Yeah. <sighs> so. Anyway. Anywho. <laughs> um, Kenny, do you have a mask yet? Uh, Kim ordered one for us. I don't have it yet, but we'll have okay. soon. Okay. 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 So I'm just I'll, worried, I'll I'm worried about your well trend. Okay. Great. They we said you can't. Go you can't. You can't go to Costco, apparently, without one. Really? When it, when it, and yeah. I will say other stores like that too. I'm sure yeah, it's going to get to be that way. So I went to Lowe's and like it was like 50% people were wearing them, 50% weren't. And then Heinen's, our local like local grocery store here in Northeast Ohio, at pretty much like 80 to 95% everyone was wearing them. So I think it's just like where you go and yeah. you know. Well, I want to uh, give I, a shout out to my mom. She actually made masks for my entire family. So Oh, that's uh, great. One for me, one for Donald, one for Declan, and one for Izzy. And she just, her and my dad came and dropped them off uh, right before this call. So <laughs> That's so sweet. I know my grandma borrowed my mom's sewing machine, and she's making some. And I was like, Grandma, I need a mask. Because I've been using the, like, I bought, like, a pack from Amazon, like, the disposable kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously re-wearing them, like, just the little, like, paper ones. And they always fall off my face, so I don't know how good they are <laughs> they're too big yeah. <laughs> you need a smaller size yeah um cool all right well mask it up everyone we get it love on. it <laughs> get it on your face Woo! um jenny you want to go first yeah. yeah 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 so um let's see i love how i didn't say what this person's name is that's cool um but i'm <laughs> <laughs> I am doing another Reader's Digest. Oh, I love a Reader's Digest. This is from the May 1975 edition of Reader's Digest. Get it. Oh my God, yes. Um, Okay. So this is the story of... Hold on, I'll find his name so I can actually... uh, His name is Walter Asipoff. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, And this is... Let's see... Like, early 40s. Okay. Okay? All right. So, this is the story of a nearly impossible rescue mission that was one of the most daring feats in aeronautical history. Oh, shit. Mm. Okay. So, um, it was San Diego, and the sky was blue, the sun was hot, it was May, there was a slight breeze... That was coming off the water of San Diego Bay. And we're, t- we're at the Naval Air Base on North Island. So um, it's 9.45 a.m. Walter Asipoff is a 23-year-old Marine, a second lieutenant from Akron, Ohio. Shout Woo-hoo! out. Shout out, Akron. Um, okay. So um, he boarded a DC-2 transport for a routine parachute jump. So... Uh, I think this was just like a training thing where they took up cargo that needed to be pushed out of the plane and um, people that jumped out of the plane, all with parachutes um, for like when they needed to drop things, you know, like artillery and stuff. Okay. 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 So he was getting on this plane. 
then we have a couple other characters in this story. Uh, Lieutenant Bill Lowry, he is 34 years old. He's a Navy test pilot. He's from New Orleans. New Orleans. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Um, he was uh, putting his observation plane through its paces. If you ask me what an observation plane is, I would say <laughs> I have no idea. I'm guessing it observes things. So That, that would have been my guess, too. <laughs> and then John McCants, a husky 41-year-old aviation chief machinist uh, from Jordan, Montana. And he was checking out an aircraft that was scheduled to fly out later. So we've got three main characters here. Walter Osipov is the, the main guy that we're going to be talking about who survives. But the other two um, play a big part in his survival. So Walter um, Osipov, Osipov sounds like a dog's name or like a breed of a dog. <laughs> like an Osipov, doesn't it? He's an Osipov. I just keep picturing like a little fluffy like a little fluffy like pomeranian looking dog okay i mean sure go ahead imagine whatever you want but in a but in a marine outfit <laughs> marine a marine uniform they don't wear outfits they wear right. uniforms of course. <laughs> an outfit <laughs> great <sighs> okay so this is my favorite so he's 23 asipov um and it says he's a seasoned parachutist i'm like at 23 23 would you, you start at 13 got a 13 come on come on um so he's a former collegiate wrestling and gymnastic star oh and i okay. really like that i really like i don't know why that's I'm a so very excited. interesting combo i mean who knows i just like that he was into wrestling which seems super like hyper masculine and then gymnastics which i right. was like he, okay he's like i'm gonna dip my tone to both these worlds i like it uh, he joined the National Guard and then joined the Marines in 1938. So I guess this is where we talk about the seasoned parachutist part. He had already made more than 20 jumps by May 15th, 1941. So he joined in, the, in 38 and he had made 20 jumps by May 15th, 1941. Um, I guess that makes you a seasoned parachutist for all of you guys out there who might be wondering what the cutoff is. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Um so that morning, uh, the DC-2, which is the plane they were on, took off and headed for Kearney Mesa. And he was, he was 23 again. I just keep, I can't get over it. I'm just like, he's 23. He is supervising the practice jumps of his 12 men. Wow. And I'm like, huh? All right. I don't know. Sure. Um, so they had on board with them three canvas cylinders and the cylinders contained ammunition and rifles. So again, this is like practicing if you needed to get ammunition and rifles down to men on the ground in an actual war zone, uh, you would drop them from planes like this. And they have their own, I think, parachute involved so that they don't just crash to the ground. Um, and then the men also jump with the cargo. Um, so... All this is happening on this DC-2 aircraft. Uh, nine of the men had already jumped when Asipov was standing just a few inches from the plane's door. And he started to toss out that last cargo container, again, filled with ammunition and rifles. Um, but somehow, the automatic release cord on his parachute, wow. on his backpack, mm -hmm. got looped over the cylinder. And so when he pushed that cylinder over... The chute was ripped open. Oh, God. He tried to grab hold of the silk, like the parachute silk, but um, 
he didn't have enough time. He quickly got jerked from the plane and sucked out with such force that the impact of his body on the plane ripped a two and a half foot gash in the aluminum fuselage. Oh my God. So like he didn't just get pulled out the door by his parachute. He just fucking ripped his own hole through the side of the plane because he was pulled out with such force from this parachute. Terrifying. Insane. Yes. Similar to some of my fears of being ripped out of an airplane in general. (laughs) Exactly what I was thinking. At first I was like, well, at least he has a parachute on. That's good, right? Um, But here's where the bad part comes. (laughs) Not not that he got ripped from the plane. No, no. Um, Instead of flowing free, his parachute got wrapped around the plane's tail wheel. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about that. Now, you would be like, that's terrible. And then there's this part. The chute's chest strap and one of the leg straps had broken during this whole incident. The second leg strap was the only strap that was left, and it had slid all the way down to Asipov's ankle. Oh, my God. It's like the, all of your worst nightmares come uh-huh. out into one tragedy. So, and one by one, as he's, as he's dangling there by his ankle, 24 of the 28 lines that were attached to the harness and the parachute snapped so now he had four lines only that were attaching him to his parachute to the plane Mm-mm. so four parachute shroud lines twisted around his left leg and they were all that kept him from falling to earth oh my god <laughs> uh he's dangling upside down and he said he he did, instead of panicking and trying to release his uh, emergency chute, he, he thought about it first, which is good. Because if he had released his emergency parachute, the plane was pulling him forward. His emergency parachute would have pulled him backwards and it would have ripped him in half. Oh, my gosh. So that's the part that, like, in a lot of these stories, they think before they do something. I feel like I would have just, like, second instinct, like, did it. Right. Like, it's your emergency parachute. That's what you need right you're in now, an, right? You're in an emergency. <laughs> Right. All that shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know. But he's a, he's a thinker, and I like that. Um, he knew that his ribs hurt, um, but he didn't know at that point that two ribs and three vertebrae had been fractured. So he he's in a world of hurt, but he's still conscious, which I think is terrifying. And the fact that he was blown through a wall and he's still conscious. Right. Yeah. So... Of course, the DC-2 crew struggled to pull Ospoff to safety, but he was too far back. They couldn't reach that back, like, landing gear. And, of course, as if it's a movie, the aircraft is starting to run low on fuel. Oh, my God. (laughs) And they can't make an emergency landing because if they do, they will for sure crush Ossipoff. Yeah, they'll run his ass over. Right. So the pilot, his name was Harold Johnson, had no radio contact with the ground. I'm like, why not? Is, why? This, when we di- is this when we discovered that radios were a good idea to have on planes? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, maybe it was. Um, so here's what he did. The pilot, Johnson, eased the transport plane down to 300 feet. Do you know how low that is? So that is, low. That is fucking low. How big do you think this plane was? Like, just out of curiosity. Like, okay, so it was, holding, think... it was holding 12 men and three cargo things full of ammunition and rifles. So that's pretty big. I mean, so it's I think it was, like, like one decent-sized. So big it's one enough of those to baby hold... planes. 
Yeah, no, fly low. no, 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 no. So um, a few people at the base noticed the plane coming by every few minutes, but they assumed that it was towing some sort of target. Oh, no, no, God. that's a dude. That's a guy. Dangling. Um, <laughs> dangling around. Uh, so now we're getting back to Bill Lowry, who had landed his plane that he was flying, and he was walking towards the office, and he glanced up. Uh, and he and John McCants, the other guy I mentioned earlier, uh, was working nearby. They both saw at the same time a man dangling from this DC-2. So Lowry yells to McCants, there's a man hanging on that line. Do you suppose we can get him? And McCants answered grimly, we can try. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I just feel like this guy's got to talk like Eeyore. I don't know. Why. Yeah. He's like, I we can try. try. So Lowry shouted to his mechanics to get his plane ready for takeoff. And it was an SOC one. It's a two seat open cockpit observation plane. Nope. It's less than 27 feet long. <laughs> Lowry said afterward, I didn't even know how much fuel it had. I'm like, you guys start checking the fuel more. Guys, like this is how like second nature planes are to them, though. Like they oh. just jump in and go. Like we jump in our car. You know how many times I've got my car and then started driving, and it's like low fuel, and you're and like, like oh, I'll make it. it. I'll make it. <laughs> yeah, but you're fine. not like really far off the ground. Anyway, no, it's fine. All right, so Lowry and McCants had never flown together before, but they seemed to take it for granted that they were going to attempt the impossible, which is like get this guy from dangling off the end of another plane in the air. Um. And Lowry said, there was only one decision to be made, and that was to get him. How? We didn't know. We had no time to plan. Um, they also didn't have time to get permission from their commanding officer. Officer? Officer. Officer? <laughs> officer? <laughs> officer? <laughs> um, so they had no time to get permission. So Lowry, Lowry simply <laughs> told the tower, give me the green light. I'm taking off. I'm like, damn, okay, take control. And he said at the last minute, another Marine ran out to the plane and dropped a hunting knife to cut Ossipoff loose. He dumped it in McCant's lap. So we are getting to the insane insanity part, even though you thought other parts of this were insane. Okay. The SOC-1, the two-person plane, uh, took off and um, everything around San Diego seemed to stop. Like civilians were now like looking up because they couldn't figure out why someone was so low because 300 feet again, very high. Uh, they were murmur murmuring prayers and um, they agonized with every move. Um, and within minutes, Lowry and McCants were under the transport plane flying at 300 feet as well. They made five approaches, but because they were so low, the air was way too um, turbulent. Like they couldn't get close enough without the plane like jumping around. So um, again, no radio contact between the planes. So um, Lowry hand signaled to Johnson, the pilot of the cargo plane, to head out over the Pacific Ocean. Oh God! So they fly out to the Pacific, and they also climb to three thousand feet. Oh. All this while Asipov is still just hanging on by those four. Four strings. It's and fine. he's probably like, they're starting to go up higher. And he's probably like, oh my God, what's happening? Although I'm <laughs> sure he's noticing that someone's trying to rescue him. Maybe I hope so. Knows. I hope so. Um, Johnson, the pilot of the cargo plane, uh, kept his, his uh, cargo plane on a straight course. And he also reduced his speed to that of the smaller plane, which was 100 miles per hour, which is, I guess, pretty slow for that his type of plane. Um, 
Lowry flew back and away. Um, so he was a little bit farther off from Ozpov, but he flew level with him. And McCants was in the open seat in the back. So like, again, this plane doesn't have a covering on top. So McCants is in the seat in the back and not piloting. He has like, this is, he's going to be the, the one who has to like get Ossipov. Um, They see at that point that Ospoff is hanging by one foot and there's blood dripping from his helmet. Mm. So Lowry started edging his plane closer and he did it with such precision that he actually was able to jibe with the swings of Ossipoff's body. So Ossipoff's body is like kind of going up and down with the plane. And he was able to match that with his little two-person plane. I'm like, oh that's some good observation from your observation plane. Congratulations. Still, like, yeah. Just this, that's insanity. Now, let's remember what year it is. It's like 1940-something, 1941-ish. Uh, Lowry kept thinking that his timing had to be perfect because he didn't want Ossipoff to smash into the SOC-1's propeller. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. There's a, there's a propeller on this plane. <laughs> just a tiny, just just a blade. Just make sure your head's out of the way. Oh my god. So finally, Lowry slipped um, his upper left wing under Asipov's shroud lines, which are those four lines that were connecting him. Like that's what was holding him onto the the plane. And McCants, who was in the back of that two person plane, stood completely upright in the rear of the cockpit, going 100 miles an hour and 3,000 feet above the sea lunged for Ossipov and he grabbed mm-hmm. him at the waist and Ossipov flung his arms around McCant's shoulder in a death grip. So like aggressive because Ossipov was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so McCants pulled Ossipov into the plane, um, but it was only a two seater. So let's remember that. So the problem was, oh, where yeah, are gonna, where are they going to put him? Where are we going to put him? <laughs> so, Lowry eased the SOC one forward to get some slack in those shoot lines. And McCants managed to stretch um, Ossipoff's body across the top of the plane, putting Ossipoff's head in his lap. So like most of his body is outside the plane, but his head is in um, McCants lap. (laughs) Okay. Which sounds terrifying and awful. And also slightly sexual. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, because McCants was using both hands to hold Ossipoff so that he wouldn't fall out of the plane, um, he didn't have any hands left to cut the cords that still attached him to the DC-2, the cargo plane. So this is where I was like, no, stop it. Lowry, the pilot of that little two-man plane, nosed his no. plane inch by inch closer and closer to that transport and with incredible precision used his motherfucking propeller to cut <gasps> the shroud lines. Are you kidding me? No, ma'am. I'm not. So oh after God. a terrifying 33 minutes, Asipov was finally free. Wow. Lowry That's had flown insane. so close to that transport plane that he nicked a 12-inch gash into its tail. So, like, he was precise, but he still, he still got a little... I'll give it to the, him. Into, that's, I'm like, that's, that's fine. Incredible. I feel really great about it. <laughs> um, okay, no, it's not over yet. Because oh, now okay. the parachute that was attached to the other plane flew off that plane and landed on Lowry's rudder, which is the back of the two-person plane. 
and also helps him actually uh, control where his plane Steer, is going. Right? Yeah. yeah, and it's probably heavy, I would think, a little bit. I would bit. think so. Yeah. Um, so now Lowry had to fly the SOC-1 without being able to control it properly. And he also had Asipov's body mostly on the outside of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> Don't worry, though. Five minutes later, Lowry somehow managed to touch down at North Island, and the plane rolled to a stop. Um, at this point, Asipov finally lost consciousness, um, but he, before he completely passed out, uh, he did hear a bunch of sailors applauding the landing, so he knew he had made it safely to land. Wow. So, <laughs> later on, after lunch, I like how this is written, uh, Lowry, <laughs> Lowry and McCants went back to their usual duties. I'm like, oh. Just another, just another just day. Just another day. Just another day. Um, so three weeks later, both men were flown to Washington, D.C., where Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox awarded them the Distinguished Flying Cross for executing one of the most brilliant and daring rescues in naval history. Um, Osipov spent the next six months in the hospital, um, and fo- the following January, he was completely recovered, and he also was promoted to first lieutenant, and he went back to parachute jumping. Oh, my God. Ah! <laughs> Don't do um, it. So the morning he was going to make his first jump, a lot of his friends um, tried to uh, give him lots of encouragement. And um, they said they were actually more nervous than he was. And they kept going up to him to reassure him. And each one volunteered to jump first so that he didn't have to go first and he could just follow. Um, but Aspoff grinned and shook his head and said, the hell with that. He said as he fastened his parachute, I know damn well I'm going to make it. And he did. So Don't that get is cocky the... now, though. That's... I like it. I love That's a little cocky. Crazy. Mm, so Walter Ospoff, this is his story, and the amazing people Lowry and McCants, who literally risked their lives and did some crazy shit in the air to save this poor man. Um, so yeah, he continued his military and... career. Yeah, insane. Wow. So that's, that's a the great story. story. <laughs> Shout out to Reader's Digest for just pumping them out. Pumping them I mean, out great stories. from the 70s, but 75. Like it's, it's kind of my go-to lately. God, they're so well written. And it's like easy for me. I can like read through it a couple times and be able to kind of talk off the cuff about mm-hmm. it. So, yes. but anywho, I like love this guy. And sometimes I find the military stories to be a little dry, but then you find yeah. these ones that are like damn yeah like the war ones are hard to cover sometimes because it's a little they also tend to be serious like more serious yeah exactly that was great good job hey thanks (laughs) thank you (laughs) um well i did something a little different this week and i I think it's because i'm just feeling down in the dumps and i just feel like with everything going on in the world i wanted to i was reading up on like it's very easy in our day-to-day to like get like depressed or get like you know woe is me or whatever um so I'm doing eight inspiring stories of perseverance that'll make you never want to give up and these are these are very like um high performing famous people that started from nothing well not all of them started from nothing but it's kind of very quick snippets eight of them of their journey and how they didn't give up and how they ended up um, becoming successful in some way, shape, or form. So I wanted to cover these. I just thought it'd be nice to do something different. So number one is Jack Canfield. 
and he is the uh, co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul, the book series. Right. And he is also one of the best motivational speakers and professional coach and incredibly inspiring author who published The Success Principles, which I've never heard of. But we've all heard of Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul and Chicken mm-hmm. Soup for the Soul. Um, so after almost, let's see, after almost 100 pitches to over 130 different publishers, none of them were interested and said no. Basically, they told him no one wants to read 100 inspirational stories. Well, guess what? I'm reading eight of them right now. So no. <laughs> so guess <laughs> they, what? So, so yeah. So after 100 pitches, imagine pitching something, developing something and pitching it over 100 times and getting 100 no's. Their agent dropped them, but they were determined to get the book published. Um, they never gave up and they kept continuing on. And the book was finally picked up by a small publisher in Florida and now there are over 250 um, Chicken Soup for the Soul books and over 500 million copies sold worldwide. And if they'd given up on these stories, they would never have been um, read across the world and have made millions and millions of dollars as authors. So again, like in my day-to-day, I do a lot of pitches to different businesses and stuff. And, and I think if I was pitching the same idea over a hundred times, I think after the fifth time or even third time, I'd be like, okay, maybe it's not a good idea. And, <laughs> and these guys believed in it so much that they kept going and were uber successful. So, um, and then there's like a little lesson after this and it's obviously never give up. Um, what if he would have quit on the 129th publisher mm-hmm. and they got picked up by the next one. So I thought that was good. The next one is Ray Kroc, who is, the one of the coolest ones I think that they cover one of them and he is the person that approached the McDonald's brothers mm-hmm. and basically so they had McDonald's had one location and in San Bernardino I think San Bernardino is that how you say it Stan- San in- Bernardino San Bernardino in California so they yeah. had one location and Ray was so impressed by how they operated and how clean their facility was and they were just different. And he convinced the brothers to start franchising. So he was the one that convinced them to do the franchise. And um, it's funny. So a little bit about Ray is during World War One, he um, he lied about his age and became a Red Cross ambulance driver in France. And at the time, he's only 15 years old. This little background. Oh. And fun fact, he actually was a driver in France for the Red Cross next alongside to Walt Disney, who also was the same an ambulance driver in France um, around the same time. So they knew each other. Um, So the war ended shortly after he did this during the Great Depression. He worked a variety of jobs selling paper cups. He was a real estate agent in Florida. Um, He would sometimes play the piano in bands. Um, so he had a lot of little careers before meeting the McDonald's brothers that just, he was like, okay, successful. He was a struggling, uh, milkshake machine salesman for many years and lived a comfortable life, but he just wanted more. So then when he met the brothers, he, it took a lot of convincing, but the, he did convince them to start the franchise model to grow the brand. And if it weren't for him, McDonald's wouldn't be what it is today. So he's basically responsible for them expanding their success. Have you um, seen that movie, The Founder? I have not, but I read about it. And I mean, he, he screwed over the people who owned McDonald's originally. But oh. it's but it's inspiring, Kenny. So it's it's okay. <laughs> he like no, completely 
cut him out of the business. Well, yeah. there was also like a land. Didn't wasn't it also like he wanted the land? So he was responsible for part of his job was to buy all the land up. Yeah, because they wanted to not rent, so they had less. They're like this. I think they own more the second most land behind like churches or something in the United. Which States. I didn't know that. I know I definitely want to watch the movie. The movie's um, good. Definitely worth a watch. And he wanted the brothers. Yeah, it does sound like he was a little bit shady because he wanted the brothers to sign over all the land rights to him mm-hmm. and there was a big falling out and all this and, and but i will say he was responsible essentially for them becoming the mcdonald's franchise that they are today um i thought this was interesting too though but after finalizing the franchise agreement with mcdonald's um he sent a letter to walt disney because he knew him from back in the day and talking about how he took over and started the, the national franchise for McDonald's. And he wanted to inquire about an opportunity for McDonald's to be in all the Disney developments, like theme parks and all that stuff. And Walt wrote him back and said, um, I will agree to this under one stipulation to increase the fry price from 10 cents to 15 cents. Um, you know, giving him more of a profit and, uh, he refused to gouge his loyal customers leaving Disney to open without a McDonald's restaurant. Now I also read that that this is not true, but then I read a couple articles that said it was. So I just thought it was interesting Mm. that he then tapped back to Walt Disney and tried to, you know, get involved with his parks and everything that he was getting off the ground at the time. And and Disney wanted to increase the price. He was just like, no, that's not really our motto. We we want to keep things affordable and, and blah, 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 blah. So have you ever eaten at a McDonald's in another country? I have not. Have you? Oh, yeah. Is oh, it yeah. the same or is it? It's the same, but there are different things on the menu. So when I was in Italy uh, back in college, uh, they had something on the menu called a McPink. Ooh. It was a pork what? sandwich. How was that? Oh, I didn't get it. Let's not okay. be <laughs> If you call it a McPink, I'm out. No. I'm hard pass on that. I was um, like, Jenny... Although we had the McRib, so... Oh, no, no. Listen to this. This is my favorite. So I lived in Luxembourg for, like, a semester. And it's a a tiny country between, like, um, Belgium, Germany, France. Uh, Very small. And... But it is its own country, everyone. Shout out, Luxembourg! Uh, They they always had the McRib, which is, like, my favorite. And so a lot of times... And there was a a McDonald's right next to the train station. So we'd leave on a Friday night to go to wherever we were going for the weekend. And I would go get a McRib for the train ride. Oh my God. I've (laughs) never had a McRib, but it looks (laughs) terrifying. No, it's delicious. It's, it's basically processed. I'm sure pork and beef mushed together into the shape of a rib without (laughs) bones. And then they dip it in this delicious sauce. And then there's amazing, big onions on it and it's oh it's so good i know people will disagree with me my mouth is watering right now just talking about it oh my god i mean i love their breakfast sandwiches so whatever (gasps) oh my god okay i don't want to get off topic but i just have to say this wendy's breakfast is is it good fucking good i could cry i'm not kidding you i'm not so what do they have i can look it up but i didn't realize that they're either breakfast they have bacon the and cheese and sausage oh. and egg and cheese, different sandwiches. So they have like a croissant, a croissant, croissant sandwich. They have a, um, a biscuit. So you can get it on a biscuit. They also have like a brioche bun, which I've, that's the one I've gotten. 
it is so flipping good. And I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's so good. It's so okay, good. Well, whenever I break my quarantine, because I've not had fast food in like four weeks. Yeah. I'm I'll just put that on my list. You, oh. It's not, it's not gonna be at the top of my list, but it'll be okay. on my list. Oh, it should be. And I would also like to tell you at the end of this, let's talk about Weight Watchers because I have exciting news. I cannot wait to hear. And I'm so excited to tell you my exciting news. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. So sidebar. I mean, do you want me to even finish this? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay. Do it. So, so really quickly, I didn't know this, that, um, McDonald's hires around 1 million workers in the U S every year. So it is important. I mean, they're, they're a huge employer of this country. So, I mean, say what you want about their food practices. I could go on and on about that, but, um, and they make 27 billion in revenue, blah, blah, blah. Great. Okay. Um, so this guy, uh, Alibaba, have you heard of Alibaba? That sounds familiar. It's a company. I mean, it's a company. It's do like they make a, pita it's, bread? No, but they should. So <laughs> Alibaba, um, the, the creator is Jack May. Um, he, it, it, he's Chinese. I'm not saying it right, probably, but it's kind of like, um, it's a multinational technological, technological conglomerate whatever the fuck that means. It's almost like an sure. Amazon for B2B, it sounds like. Okay. Anyway, so Jack May, he currently is the richest man in Asia. He's worth about $39 billion. <gasps> um, and he runs one of the largest companies in China, Alibaba. Okay. Oh! Actually, you heard they, of it? Do they, do they run a company called AliExpress? I think they do. Okay, 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 all right. Uh, now this article is a little bit old and i think since this article has come out he's stepped down from the company because he's like buy a piece out well he has 30 billion um, like bye right like why do you need any more money so but he wasn't always a genius who instantly created this amazing company he actually faced rejection his whole life um this is actually one of my favorite ones out of all these so he applied for 30 different jobs including the police and kfc um in china and was rejected Kentucky Fried Chicken didn't want him? No. No, and he's a billionaire. So people, this is why I was reading this. I'm like, listen, if you're out of a job right now and you're like at your low, like remember that you can come out of this and like things are going to be okay. And I just, he also applied and got denied 10 different times from Harvard. So he was really, he wasn't obsessed, but he was really interested in United States culture and the English language. Um, So he took, (laughs) I know, he took a trip to the United States in 1995, and he had his first encounter with the internet. And he, again, he's from China, so he saw the lack of Chinese websites um, as a great business opportunity, and he understood Mm. the possibilities very quickly that existed. So when he went back to China, he created several different companies um, despite all the previous rejection he faced. And in September of 2014, Alibaba Group debuted as an IPO on the New York Stock Exchange and raised $21.8 billion. And it's actually the largest ever um, IPO in the United States and gave the company a market value of $168 billion. Wow. So, success lesson is believe in yourself, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, and here's, here's a good tidbit too I found on another website. Is he spoke at a Harvard? He spoke at Harvard for a commencement speech, the same school that rejected him ten times. Oh, okay, okay. So, mm-hmm. mm. okay. So, have you? Do you know what the WhatsApp app is? This is number four. Yeah, it's like what okay. kids use to like text, right? 
right? Kenny? I think it's like Kenny. Is that what they do? <laughs> yeah, and it's really big in Europe too because they have Samsungs, and it's usually the app they download. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I think it's like um, can't you like delete? St- I don't know. I don't. I've never had it, but it's so uh, Jan Cohen. Um, he's the founder of the WhatsApp, which is now sold to Facebook for nineteen billion dollars. Yes. And he grew up very poor in Ukraine and he actually didn't even have running water. Oh my and, God. And um, he made his way to Silicon Valley. He almost got hired at Facebook, but got passed over in the last interview. Ugh. And instead of sulking, he went out and found, he went out and developed the WhatsApp app. And um, I, whatever, just don't give up, I guess is the lesson there. Um, okay. So the next one is Howard Schultz, which is the founder of Starbucks Mm -hmm. and um, it's now one of the most recognized brands and symbols in the world. And he didn't start off easy. So he, let's see, did you know that he went to over 200 banks looking for his original loan? 200. That's a lot. And he got denied. Every single bank denied his loan. So Mm. he was trying to secure the loan to start Starbucks his wife was pregnant at the time with their first child. I cannot even imagine the stress. So after yeah. a year of rejections, he was able to secure um, a loan from a doctor and two other individual investors. And today, the brand employs over 100, almost 140,000 people around the world. There's over 16,000 Starbucks in over 40 countries. And again, this is this article is old, so I think there's much more than that. I was going to um, say, don't you feel like there's like a lot more yeah. Starbucks than 16,000? I think this article is from 20, excuse me, from like 2016 or 17. So um, he's currently worth nearly $3 billion now. And this guy could not get a loan. So there's 28,000 Starbucks worldwide. Damn, that doubles. Is that right? Doubled? Yeah. Uh, Nope. Well, that's not at all right. Almost. Kenny Mass. Doubled. What was the original number? 16,000. Almost doubled. 32 would have been doubled. Okay. You're right. You're close. Do you like how I just yell Kenny and then math? No, Kenny, math, do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then there's a little quick, we all know who Thomas Edison is. He created the light bulb. Who? Um, who <laughs> <laughs> At a young age, um, he, whatever, we all know his story. But basically he was told that um, he wasn't smart enough. He was terrible at math. He, uh, he, said that he developed a thousand different ways how to not build a light bulb. And then he came across the right way to build it. But all mm. through school and life, everyone told him that, you know, he wasn't going to, he wasn't great. He was a slow learner and mm. he still persisted and, and moved on and helped change the world we live in today. Number seven is Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. And um, he, we all know him as, creating this entire empire. But as a young man, he was fired from a local newspaper. Um, and his boss told him that he lacked creativity. <laughs> and after a failed animation company went under and he was able, he was barely able to pay his bills. He even ate dog food at one point to survive. Stop. Uh-huh. With his last few dollars, um, he made his way to Hollywood with his wife and um, his early time in Hollywood was just as bad and he was told Mickey Mouse would fail. He faced constant rejection. Um, I think a lot of us know this story, but he persisted and went on to grow the company um, to what it is today. Uh, 
his favorite character was Goofy. These are just some fun facts I found as Aww. well. Um, and I oh, didn't notice. So com- okay, but let me yeah, just make no, a go ahead. I just read on Twitter that apparently some people think Goofy is a cow. No, he's a dog. Yeah, people think he's, a, he's cow. Not a cow. No, they're wrong. He's a dog. Obviously, he's a dog. Everyone, right. get it together. People, clarify okay. it. All right. Um, so you know, Disney films are famous for their like absentee mothers, like Bambi, the oh, Jungle yeah. Book. Well, they're not absentee. Um, Sometimes they're killed. They're killed, Pinocchio. <laughs> but yes, many yes, believe yes. that um, this trend is a result of the guilt and anguish over his own mother's death. So mm. after the success of Snow White, uh, he purchased a new home for his parents, which is very sweet. And a broken heating system in the new home resulted his mother, his mom's resulted to his mom's death who <gasps> died from carbon monoxide poisoning oh my god that's tragic guys this is supposed to be uplifting but i couldn't help but keep that in um god damn it and here's another non-relevant um disney fact did you know that his final words on his deathbed do you know what they don't were? kill mickey don't kill mickey no he wrote the name kurt russell on a piece of paper why <laughs> Even though Kurt Russell himself is still perplexed as to the meaning of this, but at the time Kurt was a child actor and um, like during his death, during Disney's death, and he had just signed on with Disney Studios to do some type of film. So on his deathbed, he wrote Kurt Russell's name. Who knows? A little fun fact for you. There you go. So the success lesson in all of this is learn to take a risk and don't stop Mm -hmm. doing what you love just because the world has shown you obstacles. Um, So I I feel like we've all heard Walt Disney's story. Um, And number eight. Oh, no. What's happening? Uh, It's Declan just walked in. Sorry. No, it's okay. He's sad about. He's he's, he's making cr- he's making crying that... noises. I have my headphones on. He can't even hear. He can't even hear Aww. you guys. Hi, Bubba. Can you go see what Daddy and Sissy are doing? Please, Mommy's on her call still. But I love you, and I'll see you soon. Oh, you're not leaving. Okay, well then you can't make you can't make those noises. You have to become quiet. Okay. Okay, number eight, last one. KFC, good old Colonel Sanders. Um, mm-hmm. So he didn't start KFC until he was 60 years old mm-hmm. after receiving his first social security check. Did you just um, say 60? 60. He was 60 okay. when he started KFC. And that's when, you know, most of us stop working or cro- we have everything crossed off our bucket list and we're done. But right. from the age sixty to right from the age sixty to seventy three, he mastered his technique and grew his business to what it is today. Um, and this often became the expense of him sleeping in his car. But he loved what he did, and he loved the food he was making. Um, and after years and years of rejection, he opened up the first KFC in Utah. And it wasn't until. Um, in 1950, he began to also dress the part, growing a goatee and wearing a, at first it was a black coat and then it turned into a white coat and um, referring to himself as the colonel. And the lesson here is it's never too late, whether you're 30, 45, or 60 years old, never give up on your dreams. So if you want to start- Even if business, that dream is fried chicken. Even if it's fried chicken out of your car, Woo-woo. do it. <laughs> 
Maybe so not those right are my, now out of your car. Right. Like, you know, yeah, maybe eventually. in the future. Yeah. But those are my eight little lessons because, again, like today it's easy to get down. Mm-hmm. And, with you know, a lot of people have lost their jobs and maybe you want a career change. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can do it. Put you your can mind do it. To it. Go for it. You can do it. Put your back there. into it. You can do it. Put your back into it. <laughs> just wait. Just wait to fry chicken out of your car until this until is over. Though. The pandemic is over. Yeah. I don't think no. he actually fried chicken out of his car, but right. I, thought, I thought the imagery was on point. <laughs> I like it. Oh, all right, Kenny. Tell us some weird news. Okay. After a four-year search, a restaurant owner is reunited with blank. And then in quotations, loved by many. Hmm. You said it's a restaurant owner? Yeah. Loved by many. Is it like a pet chicken that like hangs out? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, Is it a particular spatula? It's a giant tomato. What? What? It's an oversized decorative tomato that was in front Uh, of his restaurant. I thought you meant a real tomato. I'm like, that thing will be rotten. What are you talking about? I'm like, how did they get it back to him? Wow. I would have never guessed that. Yeah, he actually has two giant tomatoes in front of his restaurant. But the smaller petite one was stolen four years ago and was just found in a park nearby. Interesting. Now, did you hear about recently uh, in our local area that the Chick-fil-A cow was stolen? Oh, no. I've heard about the big boy being stolen before. Mm, No, the Chick-fil-A cow from the North Olmstead Chick-fil-A was stolen. I don't know if it's been returned. I haven't really followed up on the story. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this just in. I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea what the update is, but the Chick-fil-A cow was stolen. And that's all I got. Isn't that Chick-fil-A cow pretty big? Or am I picturing the big boys? you're picturing big boy, but the Chick-fil-A cow is fairly big. It's it's smaller than a real cow, but it does weigh okay. a lot. Like, I forget how many pounds they said it was, but it it, it was heavy. It's like, it would have taken more grab. than one person or, like, a very big bodybuilder, I think. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm. All right. Well, um, what's your update on Weight Watchers? I have lost three pounds. Yeah. And I started Sunday. Right. Now, that totally could be like water weight or it's just not. like Mm-mm. I yeah, and I um I've been I'm doing really good. Like if here's the thing, if it's like um I'm very like black and white when it comes to stuff, like it's if it's like numbers based or if I have to like log something in or if it's a game, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna do really well with it. But if it's just me willy-nilly like, oh I'm not gonna eat bread, I'm not gonna do that. Right. So I've lost three pounds and I really realized how much I eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) How many portions, how big my portions are. (laughs) Yeah. The portion thing is really terrifying. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's hear yours. Um, so I started last week on Thursday, I think it was. So it's Mm -hmm. been one whole week. I have lost six and a half pounds. (gasps) Johnny, that's amazing. So oh my I'm, God. Like, I'm like, what's this? What is, what You're is like happening? You're like in it. You're in And it I'm now. not even doing, like, here's the problem. I already this week blew all my, like, you have these bonus weekly points. <laughs> I already blew them this week because we had pizza one night. And I was just like, this pizza is delicious. So I just kept eating it. 
So now I have like no bonus points. I have accumulated a few because I've done some walks and horseback riding and, but yeah, six and a half pounds. Um, I've been stagnant for about two days now. So that's been depressing, but um, I just couldn't, like, I can't believe how quickly the first, like, I would say four to five pounds just like fell off. Like, yeah. You big weirdo. Yeah. Quit. Why are you eating so much? And I, right. it's not like, like I'm not eating stuff. Like I eat pasta and I eat like pizza and I eat, I had a bagel sandwich last weekend and I still lost weight. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. Like I made, we do HelloFresh twice a week mm-hmm. and I did now their meals. I have to, so I have to put in HelloFresh. If you listen to this, if anyone listens to this, put a barcode on your thing so I can scan it. Come on. But I have to, <laughs> and I have to put in all the ingredients to see how many points right. it is. So I made this like pork meatloaf thing that mm. was, it was like pineapple pork meatloaf. It was amazing. But before I tasted it, I was like, I'm only going to have half. So it won't be like, so I can have like a glass of wine with it or whatever. Well, I ended up getting, eating the whole thing because it was so good. But then I just had leftover point. Like it was fine. It worked itself out. Yeah. So I'm still saying. eating like normal stuff. Yeah. You can eat normal stuff. I think it's more like the portions and like, sometimes mm-hmm. I swap things out. Like instead of mayo, which is like, I love mayo. Uh, I've been using mustard just because it mustard has zero fucking points. Like it's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, we well, don't want to bore you guys today. too much with our Weight Watchers, but well, one more thing. I thought of you today. I made a sandwich for lunch, and I almost put mayonnaise on it. And then I was like, "Well, Jenny said mustard has zero, so then I piled on the mustard instead." So that's <laughs> right. That's right, people. Um, well, thanks you guys for listening. We hope you uh, loved this episode. If you did, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye.